Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And today our topic is PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have one guest. Mike Baker is here. Mike is a, a longtime Monroe County resident who's been involved with the PCB issue for seems like decades. Uh, he's involved with the Citizens Information Committee and the Citizens Opposed to PCB Ash. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Mary Catherine, hello. Hi. I'm glad to be here. I've had a few comments this week about my uh, lack of attendance last week, so I oh, okay. had to be sure to be here. <laughs> yeah. We're happy to have you. It's uh, And Mike, of course, we're happy to have you here. Mike, it's a, it's a tough topic, PCBs. I like to say polychlorinated biphenyls, but just because I can. I know what they are. been around for a long time. So um, the, the issues with PCBs started for those – you know, we have a tra- sort of a, uh, a community that's always in transition. So mm-hmm. I don't know how many people have been here for how long. So I guess it's worth noting that uh, the issue of PCBs has been with people in Bloomington and Monroe County since actually the late 1950s. And uh, it became newsworthy in, in about 1975, more than 30 years ago. Uh, when it was discovered how much PCB contamination there was around here, and uh, I think the the uh, agreement that uh, to clean up the PCBs uh, was forged in 1985, so more than 20 years ago. And I know Mike's been keeping a very very steady eye on what's <clears throat> going on. Uh, for that time. So, Mike, can you fill in some of the gaps on that history? I, so that was very quick. Yeah, be sure and include how they got here in the first place. Right. Uh, well, just briefly, uh, Westinghouse Corporation uh, produced electrical capacitors on Curry Pike uh, from the late 50s through about the mid-70s. And uh, in the mid-70s, actually, Congress banned the use of PCBs as a cooling agent. Uh, the PCBs um, as a liquid, were a very good uh, cooling agent in high electrical capacitors. Well, during the manufacture of these capacitors, they had a lot of leakage and scrap within the plant. Uh, they also had a lot of defective capacitors, which they had people come in and haul off. Uh, and at the time, people hauled them off to either the city-owned landfill at the time, which was Lemon Lane, um, or they hauled them off to what we have a lot of in Monroe County, sinkholes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem is that sinkholes um, allow material to seep over time down into the groundwater, and and that's really the issue. The PCBs have escaped from these sinkholes that are in the groundwater, and and they've been trying to clean those up, as Bob said, since about 1985. And the the issue with PCBs, uh, and again, I have uh, sort of a layman's uh, understanding of them uh, and I guess a news person's understanding from reading about them and writing some about them for the last 20 years or so. Um, You know, PCBs have caused cancer in uh, what, lab rats or – You know, originally, um, the main risk that people were concerned with was cancer. And and there's been a lot of state studies and national studies that show that there's a significant increase uh, in cancer, different types of cancer with PCB exposure. Probably over the last six or seven years, more evidence has come out concerning long-term reproductive uh, problems with people that are are, uh, exposed to high amounts of PCBs. And um, what's even worse than that, for example, I could be contaminated with PCBs and maybe I wouldn't have really any ill effect, but I could pass on some genetic problems uh, to my offspring. So those are the more uh, current risks that people have been studying. And so you take the cancer risk along with some of these other more subtle risks. Uh, and that's why EPA is mandated to uh, to try to clean up the uh, the sites, not only here in Monroe County, but anywhere in the country. And I think that's been one of the issues in in Bloomington and Monroe County. I remember, you know, way back when. I mean, when when Westinghouse was arguing that PCBs weren't dangerous in in the beginning, you know, there were there were was, that was sort of the the big argument. But you know, over time, there there, to my knowledge, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that there there's never really been any study that shows that can you know, link a particular cancer cluster to our area that could be traced back to PCBs. Therefore, you know, it's it's 
always sort of uh, you know an issue that well PCBs are are da- the government says they're dangerous. There are numerous studies that says that they you know there, there certainly is an increased risk, but there's never been any sort of definitive study that ties it back to our particular area. Right. Probably the closest thing, uh, the state uh, of Indiana uh, did some studies uh, with some workers at Westinghouse and they looked at some research data concerning the Bloomington area and they identified definitely some clusters of uh, past workers mm-hmm. from Westinghouse that had you know significant increases uh, in cancer. And, and it's one of the things the community has pushed for for years was actually a a program where ex-workers of Westinghouse could go in and be tested, and there's really never been one done other than uh, when the state of Indiana uh, Board of Health did one uh, probably eight, nine, ten years ago. What about – I want to ask, what about follow-up genetic studies? Um, have those been done? Not that I'm aware of. Most of the studies that uh, the EPA uses are um, – you know, either from other countries. I know there, Japan had some exposures in the past uh, to uh, high levels of PCBs. Uh, the Hudson River uh, had a lot of PCBs in it. And so there's there's been mainly most of the studies and the assumptions are based on the amount of PCBs that they're finding in the water, in the fish, in the wildlife, and, and studying those and other receptors. And then, again, like we do in our country, you know, you look at rats and you say, okay, if a rat has this kind of a problem, it's assumed a person would have a similar right. kind of risk. Right. Yeah, and I, I should back up because I remember that study and, and I was sort of thinking in terms of – I wasn't articulating it well, but thinking in terms of environmental study so that, that PCB is just in the environment. But those particular studies of workers, if I recall, um, indicated a higher incidence of, of brain cancer correct. and melanoma, I think, skin yes, cancer. Yes, that's correct. And the, the other um, good news is they have done studies – uh, general population studies within Monroe County and Bloomington and compared uh, PCBs in our blood um, to other people throughout the, the world. And on average, it's the same. Uh, actually, we all have PCBs, mm-hmm. uh, some amounts in our bodies throughout the, the world probably because of the way these things have been transported over the years. Uh, but we have no higher increase in the general population here than there is anywhere else in the country. So I guess that's the good news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Let me give the phone numbers. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. <clears throat> the topic today is PCBs and our guest is is Mike Baker who's a, basically a citizen who's been working on PCB issues for many, many years. Um, Mike, if you would sort of go over the 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 players in this, because I know we've done, I've done, been involved in many different PCB sort of panels and mm-hmm. forums, in in which you know all these people from all these agencies and and their lawyers, it seems, come on, and we chose today just to bring you in to talk about this in a broad sense. But who are all these players that are involved? Well, the people that have all signed the original consent decree in 1985. Um, we're Westinghouse, which from now on we're going to call CBS because actually uh, over time uh, Westinghouse acquired uh, Viacom uh, and then acquired their name and then, which then they acquired CBS and they've acquired the CBS name. So when we say CBS, it's really the old Westinghouse as far as who's responsible. Um, then we have the state of Indiana, the, which is IDEM, is the main player in that, Indiana Department of Environmental Management. City of Bloomington Utilities, Monroe County, uh, and I'm leaving. Oh, yeah, in the U.S. EPA, EPA. which is really the um, the lead of the government parties, if you will. So, basically, you have the government parties, uh, which I mentioned, uh, and then you have CBS that has been named as the principal responsible party, and we're. We've been going through since 1985 negotiations and some cleanup activities. Uh, that basically have brought us um, to where we are today where we have three primary sites that have not been cleaned up completely or to levels uh, that are protective of human health. And those three sites, Lemon Lane, uh, Neal's Landfill and Bennett's Quarry are all all the um, the sites that are being debated and issues related to those sites are being debated now between the parties. Are all, all three of those in Monroe County? Uh, yes, all three are in Monroe County. Just briefly, uh, if you were at the intersection of 37 and Vernal Pike going north 
and you look to your right, you see a, a large, about a nine-acre green sort of uh, field. That's Lemon Lane. Uh, Neal's Landfill is if you take 43 going west towards Whitehall. It's about four miles outside of Bloomington on the right. And then Bennett's Quarry is, um, I guess, what you call the, the new North Park development. So if you're actually taking 46 uh, towards Ellettsville, it, it's one of the quarries that sets back off to the left. We're going to go to the phones in a minute, but there were, there were a couple of other sites that were included in the, uh, the consent decree originally, correct? Yes, there was uh, Neal's landfi- uh, Dump which is in Owen County. That was cleaned up uh, back in around uh, 2000 and it was cleaned up to residential standards. So the people that was on private property are, are able to use that property. It's, it's completely clean. Um, Fell Iron and Metal was a site that was cleaned up. Um, and then the city of Bloomington had the uh, Winston Thomas treatment plant. Mm-hmm. That was cleaned up. Um, uh, Anderson Road landfill had a small amount of PCBs there. That was cleaned up. So we're really down to the, uh, the, the three that I mentioned and the two largest ones, uh, Lemon Lane, which is probably one of the largest sites in the United States, uh, and then Neal's Landfill. Okay. We're going to go to the phones. Stan, go ahead. Hello. Hello, Stan. Hi. Uh, could I ask for a brief discussion of a comparison of our federal and state safety regulations with, re- with respect to... Uh, uh, suspected carcinogens versus other countries. Uh, well, I'll see what what Mike says about that. Well, I'm not sure I would be qualified uh, to do that. All the all the risk assessments that are being used to determine the remedy at these sites uh, are from EPA. EPA takes federal guidelines. They bring in uh, Dr. Milton Clark, who is their risk specialist for human health. And then they also look at environmental health uh, with the wildlife, and they work with the uh, Department of Interior, Fish, and Wildlife. The state of Indiana, through IDEM, uh, works and is in, working in conjunction with EPA to use those guidelines to determine risk. Then they present that risk uh, in their remedy, and CBS uses their own experts to come back and either agree with or disagree with those assumptions. Um, I'm sorry I can't give you a, a, a more detailed um, explanation of how we made difference in other countries. That's just beyond my scope. Okay. Phone numbers 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I wonder if it might be helpful to talk a little bit about the characteristics of PCBs um, as far as, for example, their longevity in the environment and that sort of thing so people understand why this has been such a tricky and, and hard-to-deal-with issue. Well, you can imagine these they – don't, um, they don't degrade. So they basically stay in the environment forever. Um, the good news is that um, they attach themselves to sediment. So as they leak out of these landfills into the streams – the highest concentrations are the closest to the landfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the further down you go, it, it, it gets cleaner because they just – they tend not to move very well through water. Uh, but they stay around for a very long time and a small amount, uh, a cup of pure PCBs can contaminate thousands and thousands of gallons of water or you know, a mile of stream bed. So it doesn't take much of it and again – uh, in uh, in the mid or late 90s and, and around 2000, when they did cleanups, they actually did cleanups of Lemon Lane and the other sites. Uh, you know, Lemon Lane, for example, they removed over 80,000 tons of contaminated material and 4,000 capacitors. The problem is that that a lot of the PCBs that were in there have leaked, and they're below the bedrock, so they can't they can't dig them out. They're already too deep. And, uh, and that's how they're escaping into the, um, the three streams, which is Richland, um, uh, Stouts Creek, and Clear Creek. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings up another question I wanted to ask you. For, well, i got two questions. First of all, where, what, did, what happened to the 80,000 tons of m- removed material? Start with that one. Okay. Well, uh, all the, um, the material that was removed from uh, all the sites um, had to go to a licensed TOSCA, which is a, a term for Toxic Substance Control Act um, landfill. And I believe that the majority of all of this went to 
uh, a Michigan landfill. Now, the capacitors that were full of pure PCBs, uh, I think they went to a facility in Texas that was a licensed um, incinerator that burned pure uh, PCPs, not with garbage, but uh, but the pure PCBs. And so they've been taken to uh, EPA-approved um, landfills or an incinerator to burn the pure PCBs. Okay. And then that – we mentioned that it remains in streams for a long time and you named three streams. And so I always have kind of a – grip when I see kids playing, and I know this is a sad commentary, but when I see kids playing, for example, um, in in local streams, I just – I worry and I wonder what your opinion is on whether there's a good reason for concern. There should be concern and, you know, it's like a lot of things in, in, our, uh, in our world. It just happens that, that most of the heaviest contamination is in, in areas um, – where I mean, uh, maybe where you have a lower social economic group of people living, so you don't get a lot of attention. If some of these streams, you know, happen to run through the stands, for example, <laughs> or Hyde Park, there would probably be a lot more concern. But um, the primary pathway is through ingestion. So you would eat the fish. The fish are contaminated. They've studied them. The state of Indiana has posted fishing advisories on all three creeks. There can be dermal exposure. You have to have a lot of exposure over long periods of time through just touch, walking in the creeks, pets running through the creeks. Mm -hmm. So it can be picked up that way, but but probably the most prevalent uh, risk is ingestion of of fish. And people do recreational fishing in all three of those creeks. That's one of the debates. Uh, um, CBS argues that people don't fish in the creeks heavily enough. Uh, and eat enough of the fish to really contaminate themselves to a level where we should be concerned. EPA and and the state um, obviously disagree, and and that's why they're pushing for a stronger cleanup. How could you even attempt to clean up uh, of a site that has already leached under the bedrock? How do you even begin to approach that kind of cleanup? Well, that's why they're not going to clean up the site themselves. In other words, they've already dug out all they they've already dug out all they can dig. Uh, they are trying to stop water from getting into or onto the sites because more water from rainfall flushes the PCBs out. Uh, but they really feel that the most protective thing they can do is identify where it's escaping, what creeks, and be able to contain that and treat it um, so that it doesn't continue to contaminate. So even though we've had uh, cleanup at, at all these sites, uh, again, like Lemon Lane in 2000, um, Every year, every day, there's PCBs escaping from these sites. Uh, and, um, and that's why they know that they just can't go dig them up. They can't dig deep enough. So the best, most cost-effective remedy that EPA has proposed is to capture the water leaking off of these sites and treat it. And that can be treated? Yes. In What's fact, the method for that? Well, at Lemon Lane is a good example. Um, they built a, um, a waste treatment um, site uh, called Illinois Central that captures mm-hmm. 80% of the water coming out of Lemon Lane. And they're able to effectively treat that to non-detect standards and re-release the clean water. The problem is during high flow, high rainfalls, there's a bypass. And so about 20% of the total volume coming off of that site is not treated, uh, which which is why EPA is proposing to enlarge the capacity to where they can treat 99.9% of the volume of water coming out of Lemon Lane. Now, is CBS bulking at that? CBS's current position is that the health risk assessments uh, do not indicate there's enough risk for them to do anything but no action. Okay. Anything but no action. No action. Uh, In fact, in the recent uh, documents, uh, filed in uh, response to the proposed remedy at Bennett's quarry, uh, they basically say that you know they feel that the no action remedy is appropriate, and should uh, the EPA and the government parties move forward with any kind of a remedy, uh, they are not liable for any of the cost, nor will they be liable for any future uh, costs associated with the site. And and that's one of the problems that the EPA has always had what they call reopeners in an agreement. So if they come in and clean up a site, but five years later they find out it's still contaminated, they have the right to go back in and, mm-hmm. and, and go back to the responsible party and say, 
you know, we didn't get it all. You need to pay for this. And, um, you know, CBS is arguing that they've already done the cleanup that they were required to under the initial um, agreements between the parties and that any further action, since they don't feel that there's any risk, they're not going to pay for it. And those, that's why we're sort of at a stalemate right now between the government parties and CBS. I think some um, residential housing could be arranged downstream from these areas for CBS executives if, if that might, you know, if it's that safe. <laughs> well, Maybe I think that's I, just my idea. I don't know. <laughs> some people have suggested that and, and I, I can remember there were some times where uh, Westinghouse or CBS representatives uh, said they'd be happy to move out on top of the landfill. But uh, – uh, anyway, uh, you could probably move on top of the landfill and be relatively safe. That's really not how you're being contaminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the consent decree was signed, it went into a federal court and Judge S. Hugh Dillon, um, who died I think within the last year or so, was the, the judge that was involved and everybody had to be called before Judge S. Hugh Dillon if there was any mm-hmm. kind of disagreement. Um, how, are, how are these disagreements played out now? Is there a federal judge that's taken over this case? Well, there, there, was, a, uh, um, there was a federal magistrate who was appointed, uh, Foster, uh, and he's really the one that's presided over any meetings of the parties, which there's not been one for several years mm-hmm. now. Uh, until this week. Until this week. And that's why we're here. That's right. <laughs> um, but there is a judge uh, who officially took over the case, uh, Judge uh, Rick Young, um, Indianapolis. Uh, he has not, to my knowledge, met with the parties. And I think that the meeting that they had on the 28th was with Magistrate Foster. Um, the purpose of that meeting was to provide the magistrate an updated status report from both parties. Uh, I'm not sure they really argued their positions. I think the magistrate's um, uh, job was to try to find out how he could keep them moving and working in negotiations to come up with what's called a global settlement. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the court wants to do is to have all the issues and remedies uh, all agreed to by all the parties without having to go to litigation. Uh, And he's been trying to push that forward and and actually his involvement several years ago really made a lot of headway because Mm – um, CBS has done a lot of their own studies and tests. They've worked with each other, but now they're at an impasse, and both parties have basically petitioned the court uh, to get involved to help move them forward. All right, our phone numbers are eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, and the email address is noon at indiana edu. Uh, Mike Baker's here. Mike's been involved for several years through the Citizens Information Committee and also through Citizens Opposed to PCB Ash um, in terms of, of trying to uh, monitor the the PCB issues and the PCB cleanup around the Monroe County area. Um, this might be a good juncture to sort of take you back because you know. Mike Baker talking about PCBs uh, probably 20, 25 years ago. You might not have thought that would be a possibility. Absolutely. It wasn't in your future. Um, Take us back to when you first decided that you needed to get involved. And I know that was with COPA, correct? That's correct. Uh, In uh, uh, 1990, uh, again, uh, the the consent decree was signed in 1985. There had been a lot of articles in the paper for years about what was happening with the PCB sites. And I was just busy raising a family and and working and would read the articles but not pay a lot of attention to it. Um, I do remember uh, actually uh, in the early 80s uh, living in Indianapolis and reading a magazine called Mother Earth News, I believe. Mm -hmm. And there was an article in there about a nearing family. Uh, who lived in Bloomington and they'd bought this beautiful piece of property uh, as a farm and then found out it was contaminated and they talked about having to move and how their family broke up all over it. And and then now all of a sudden, almost 10 years later, um, we get word that not only are they going to be you know building a hazardous waste incinerator, which I had heard of. I knew that that was part of what they were proposing. But because they were going to build the incinerator and the incinerator was going to use garbage as a fuel to burn the PCBs, that the waste from the incinerator was going to be so toxic they were going to have to build a hazardous waste landfill. And they chose an area out in what's called the Bottoms, Bean Blossom Bottoms, which is part of the township, Washington Township, which I live in. And so that got my interest up. Uh, it just so happened by coincidence that a lot of people that lived in Washington Township at the time 
um, were involved in, in like the chemistry department, biology department, law department at IU. Uh, and some of those people all started being concerned about what is this thing? Why would they be building a, a hazardous waste landfill in the bottoms that flood? Mm-hmm. You know, who's over there drilling all these wells and testing it, which was at the time Westinghouse. And, and that sort of got a neighborhood coalition uh, of people together. And somehow I ended up being the spokesperson and we, we formed we formed an LLC in case we were sued. Uh, and we basically set ourselves up to try to really learn what's going on. And you know, we were citizens that hadn't been involved. Let's find out why would we – if this is supposed to be a good remedy, why do we need a hazardous waste landfill? And the more and more we got involved and contacted people that, that are much more um, – have a higher expertise in chemistry and biology and – incineration and everything else, the more we really just were stunned the fact that they were actually – that this was the proposed remedy. So we got involved and sort of became over time I guess the um, um, grassroots organization that had some credibility. There were other people and other groups that were fighting this for years um, and we came at it from I guess more of a business approach mm-hmm. and we tried to solicit people from mainstream businesses and, and uh you know, health professionals, scientific professionals, uh, and then somehow it's just stuck with me since 1990 to be involved in this. Once the incinerator was basically shelved by the parties, um, hopefully through some of our actions, um, rather than just walking away, we said, no, it's not just the landfill that's the issue uh, or the incinerator that's the issue. It's the whole thing, and so we've you know, have stayed with us since then. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. Um, we're talking about PCBs, and uh, we're going to we're going to sort of catch you up to exactly what's going on now after we take a break. Uh, but you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. Including WFIU in your estate plans can have many benefits, both to WFIU and to you. Not only can you have the pride in knowing that you are helping public radio for years to come, but also be able to take advantage of various tax savings. More information about planned giving can be obtained from your tax advisor or attorney. Information is also available through WFIU at 800-662-3311 or on the web at wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our guest today, Mike Baker, who's involved with the Citizens Information Committee and Citizens Opposed to PCB Ash. Our topic is uh, PCBs in Monroe County and Bloomington and we're sort of going over some of the some of the history of it and also getting you up to speed. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Now, I know Mary Catherine has a question, but before that, I want to go back (laughs) (laughs) just a bit because, you know, we've sort of alluded to the incinerator and I think it's worth uh, just noting that that was a huge, huge issue in Bloomington and Monroe County when that was was proposed and accepted as a remedy in the consent decree. Uh, Well, it was accepted by the government. (laughs) <laughs> parties in a closed-door meeting. Yeah, it was never accepted by the citizens. That's correct. In fact, there was – I, I uh, actually at one time, COPA, which is what uh, we call our organization, bought all the um, uh, videotapes of all the city council meetings going back into the early 80s, in which I still have all those in my garage. And there was a, almost a near riot of people because they weren't able to express their concerns and, and they were basically sort of um, – not involved in the process and we're still locked out of uh, any of the court process. I've petitioned the federal court on many occasions just to come and set under any conditions and they've politely declined. <laughs> um, and uh, But yes, the incinerator was a big issue uh, and at the time, 
Westinghouse thought this is a perfect plan. We'll charge the county for the garbage that we're going to take and use to burn PCBs. And this has never been done anywhere in the country. And I remember uh, the chairman of the chemistry at IU at the time, who I won't mention his name, although he probably wouldn't mind now since he's moved. Um, uh, but he got very involved behind the scenes, and, and he absolutely, um, you know, went from, from chemistry 101 to some advanced uh, discussion of this with with any of the people from EPA at the time and from Westinghouse. Um, and it was just obvious to him and other people that this was an unknown technology and would probably create more of a problem than actually the PCBs uh, with releases of mercury, et cetera. But it was a very uh, hot debated issue. Uh, it took a lot of the community's resources. Uh, there was a lot of animosity and, and things said you know, politically about different people, rightly and wrongly. Um, but fortunately um, – uh, and like I said, uh, about 1994, actually, Mark Cruzan and Vice Simpson um, wrote and sponsored a bill that uh, pretty much prohibited the building of a, any kind of a hazardous waste incinerator unless it could meet what's called the six nines, 99.9999 percent efficiency. Uh, and the government parties, particularly uh, Westinghouse at the time and the EPA, finally, as they looked at this – now, you remember now another 10 years has passed mm-hmm. and I think they realized that this probably just wasn't going to happen. Maybe it, it wasn't the right solution that they originally thought it was. And so they all agreed to move away from that and look for alternative remedies, uh, which they've done. Mm-hmm. OK. Here's an email that came in. Um, it says, why aren't motorized boats allowed on Lake Monroe? Your water supply, exhaust gases from these boats do contain huge amounts of dangerous pollutants, products close to PCBs. Uh, obviously, and there are many, many of them. These will not just remain on in the surface layer of the lake. From my perspective from Holland, where very strict regulations apply to water bodies used for drinking water, seeing all these motorized boats on a lake used for drinking water is just unbelievable. It seems uh, not to be any issue here, which is very surprising. I, I sure wish I could have anything <laughs> to say on that, but I think that's going to have to be taken up with uh, – the uh, state of Indiana who sets the water quality standards f- for drinking uh, and other use in our state, uh, the uh, Monroe County Board of Health mm-hmm. and probably the uh, the EPA in general because they set those kinds of standards. Uh, right. Again, I'm just the guy involved in PCBs. <laughs> That's right. We won't make you answer that one. All right. Let's go to the phones. Dennis is on the line. Dennis? Yes. Uh, and sorry if you, you've answered this already. Uh, I got in late when I got in my car. But uh, I have never, for all of the articles for the last 25 years that I've read about PCBs, have I ever heard any specific, definitive health problems of what do these things do to you? I've heard, you know, causes cancer in in rats. Uh, I heard that with the Westinghouse employees, there was a higher incidence of brain cancer, but their overall incidence of cancer was only half of what the community would have expected. And so I feel like, you know, nobody really knows that everybody, nobody disputes how long they last in the environment or that, you know, they don't degrade and, and that we shouldn't be discharging them. But at the same time, I don't know how to assess the health risk. Any help here? Well, I, I think uh, let me just say that we did address this briefly in the first part of the show, but I think it's worth talking about again, Mike. Well, there, uh, the um, uh, state of Indiana uh, Department of Health did some studies and did show a significant increase in specific types of cancers with um, the Westinghouse workers. There's been some other uh, – studies done throughout the country, I'm not an expert on that, that have definitely tied increased not only cancer risk but uh, other health risk concerning um, hereditary, et cetera, things can be passed on because PCBs bioaccumulate and, and they, they've already been shown through a lot of recent studies in the last two years to definitely affect the reproductive um, capabilities of wildlife. Again, as a citizen, we rely on our government agencies to provide us um, guidance, and the federal government has specific uh, ecological and human risk assessment guidelines that EPA and the state 
have to use in trying to determine whether or not there's a need to clean up the PCBs. They've done those tests. They've been doing them since 1985. They've done extensive fish and sediment and wildlife testing the last five years, and they've determined um, that there is impairment of the waters under the Clean Water Act. They have determined that there is both significant human and environmental risk and that there's a need to clean these up. And, you know, based on that, again, I'm not a, a scientist and I'm sure you could find scientists that would debate both sides of this, uh, but that's what's driving this um, is, so, is so the federal. The reality is, is that, that you're telling me that it is far more of a political process than a scientific process. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I, you know, I think what he's saying is he's not a scientist, but that scientists have determined that there is there is this risk, and from a political standpoint, the politicians, our government, has taken the word of the scientists and has d- determined that these things should be cleaned up. One one thing I might add too is one thing that that our organization or I've I've tried to really make sure that we actually our role in this whole thing is to provide data from any sides of the issue. And our website, copa.org, copa.org, does have uh, thousands of documents provided by the scientific community, by the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, which is part of the uh, federal government, the EPA ecological risk, uh, the wildlife risk, so there's a lot of data there, more than, than anyone can go through, but it is all posted on the website and you can, you can find the studies um, that the EPA uses to support their claim that there is significant risk and that, that we cannot continue the escape of PCBs into the waterway. From, okay. just, just, well, I, I appreciate it. I'll be happy to go to your website and get those links because uh, – uh, that's where, where I guess I feel like I have problem. I hear again, I hear lots of politics, but I don't hear much definitive that me as a citizen can make a decision about, uh, you know, whether I think the politicians are being reasonable or unreasonable, and you know, and so therefore I don't know how to, to view this, and I really lack data. So well, I appreciate that information. One thing that I would uh, suggest that you do, if you go to the website, there's an immediate link that says Bennett's. And Bennett's is the most recent site where the EPA has filed all of their risk assessments and CBS has come back and they've used their scientists to debate that. And we've posted both of those so you can sift through some of the technical jargon and get an idea of of what kind of issues are um, driving the the risk assessment. Okay, Dennis. Thanks a lot for the call. You know, that that was a really good question. It's one that I think all citizens, I'm sure – have you know at least either consciously or subconsciously when you know when they're wrestling with this PCB issue? So, you know, what is the health risk, and how do you know how do we determine, and who do we believe? Uh, well, let's go back to the phone, Steve. Steve, go ahead. Hi, this is a, a follow-up question. Actually, I guess on the last question, um, I wonder: is there any evidence that the Bloomington area has a higher rate of cancer than other areas of, of the country or Indiana? And in over 25 years of association with Bloomington, I guess I just feel like I've known an awful lot of people who have, uh, you know, developed long and painful and ultimately fatal cases of cancer. And I don't know if that's just because Bloomington has lots of generally healthy people and nothing else gets them before cancer does. Or, or what? Anyway, is there any data that shows a higher incidence of cancer in the Bloomington area or Monroe County area? I'm not aware of any. I, I know that issue has been brought up over the years, and the state of Indiana has had their health uh, people here, as has the federal government. And to my knowledge, um, again, we talked earlier about you know the levels of PCBs in all of our our bodies. Uh, we have no higher incidence um, than anywhere else in the country. Yeah, I think the, uh, the as we said before, I think it's you know the studies that have have shown uh, some issues have involved the, the people who are working with those PCBs. All right, Steve, thanks a lot for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana dot edu. We've got about uh, ten or twelve minutes left in the program. Um, 
Mike, it's no accident that you're here this week. <laughs> I mean, we, this is a 30-year-old story basically in Bloomington, even longer since Westinghouse was uh, manufacturing those in the late 50s. But um, why, why now? What's happening now? What are the key issues? And, and there are many. What are the key issues that you're monitoring and that sort of uh, were the, the factors in, in us deciding to have this program today? Well, uh, in 1994, the government parties uh, agreed again with the, uh, let's say, encouragement of uh, Magistrate uh, Foster um, that they had to get together and negotiate a global settlement on these three sites. The issues were, is there a need for continued cleanup of the sites that were remediated in the past? Um, Is there a need for long-term ground monitor watering? And then... There's the issue of who's going to pay for all the activities that need to be done and have been done. Um, we're talking millions of dollars that the EPA has spent in building Illinois Central alone. And under Superfund, they want to collect some of those damages from the responsible party. Well, for the most part, um, these parties have been working and making headway towards agreements. Uh, in my opinion, you know, CBS has, has probably delayed this process um, by continuing to want to do other studies and try to prove that there's no need to treat the water because they can find an alternative way. They've tried to prove that they can intercept the water that's getting into Lemon Lane, for example. And I guess the good news is is they spent a lot of good money, did a lot of really good taste uh, testing, and for the most part, their data uh, supports the fact that we need uh, to build a, con- a bigger containment uh, facility at uh, Lemon Lane that the PCBs are still escaping out of Neal's landfill and they haven't found a way to stop that. Um, Those are the two main ones. So they had this deadline that the court set. I think it was August of this year they were supposed to have everything agreed to. It was clear to EPA that they were so far apart on three specific issues with CBS that there was not going to be an agreement by August. And I think it was clear to CBS that they were – so far apart, they couldn't agree. And so both, within a day of each other, filed a status report between the court and said, we're so far apart, basically, we can't agree. Uh, we're asking for the court to, to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and that, again, the, the three issues are, is there a need to do further remediation? C- CBS says no. Um, is there a willingness for them to accept that if that even if that were true, years from now we find out that it's not true, would they still be responsible? They say no. Um, And do they believe that they should be responsible for long-term monitoring of the water leaving these sites so we can be assured that there is no further risk? They basically have said no. They don't think they should be responsible. EPA believes that they're mandated by law not to accept a remedy that's protective of human health they cannot give up the right to be able to reopen these sites if they find out that there's more contamination later and they feel like that uh, the responsible party should pay for the monitoring of these sites however long it takes to ensure that um, that it is safe. So we're back at court. They met the 28th. Nobody's really saying much about what happened at that meeting uh, since it was private. My guess is it'll be a month or two before we even get any information of what was discussed and, and what the parties are doing. We do know what, what we do know, at least what we reported, is there were about twenty people there representing all the all the different parties. Uh, Jeff Grodner was there representing Bloomington, and Jeff's not been in the news all that much lately. But he used to be a, a constant figure on our front page when we were reporting about about PCBs. Um, so a month from now, what, what would you anticipate we, we might hear that, that they're, they're so far apart there may be litigation, that they're going to have to go before a federal judge? What are some of the alternatives for, for what happens next? Well, I, I personally think a lot of it really is going to hinge around uh, how the risk assessment is interpreted. Uh, you know, CBS has their experts that have – they say that the, the data and all the testing supports that there's no need to do anything. EPA and the state believe that they have data that supports the fact that there's significant risk and something needs to be done. Uh, to me, it's going to be hard for a judge to sort out some of that technical 
language and really know for sure which which one makes the strongest case. So they may have to rely on some some of the legality of the agreement between the parties, the consent decree. What does that really mean? And and I think my guess is that the court is going to try to find a way to to push both sides of the issue. In other words, he's going to try to push CBS closer to EPA and maybe EPA closer to CBS and to see if there's some kind of a, a middle ground that can be agreed to. Mm-hmm. And now again, just in case people miss it, the, the, the parties in the consent decree are the city of Bloomington, Monroe County, the EPA, uh, IDEM, and CBS, correct? I'm not leaving yes, anybody out. Yes, right. And the, the main – I think the main drivers of, of the negotiations on this from the government party's point of view is the state of Indiana and the EPA – to a certain degree, Monroe County and the city of Bloomington are sort of bystanders. Um, obviously, they're there as they should be, uh, looking out to protect the city of Bloomington's liability or potential liability issues, if any, um, and to make sure, again, that there's a proper and safe cleanup for their citizens. But the, pretty much it's this CBS um, – I, I hate to use the word against, but uh, Obviously, debating whether or not uh, the state of Indiana EPA has has made the case that they should be responsible for additional cleanup. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple of other topics. Uh, well, let me get the phone numbers in case somebody has a last minute question. We have about five or six minutes to go. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana dot edu. A couple of things um, I, I wanted to try to address. One is. Um, We've talked about the CIC, the Citizen Information Committee. Um, who established that committee and how did you wind up being a member of that? It was established, I believe, jointly by the uh, the EPA and probably the city of Bloomington, uh, you know, probably about late 80s. Uh, and it was uh, supposed to represent a pretty good cross-section of people from Monroe County who wanted to be involved. So, you know, there was someone there from the Monroe County Board of Health uh, citizens that were involved from other aspects um, there. You know, I, I got appointed, I think it was like in 1990 to the to the committee. Um, so there was a number of people that were involved in this issue or wanted to be involved in this issue that basically got together whenever the EPA would have a meeting and they would have presentations, discussions. EPA and the city and the state would would tell us, here's what we're doing, here's where we are, here's the things we're looking at. The people on this committee would express their concerns, whether it was be there's other sites that haven't been explored, we don't think that you're moving fast enough, you know, why aren't you digging it all up, here's a different alternative. So over the years, all these things were discussed and it really became a public forum for the community to have an interface with the government parties. Over the last five years, it pretty much uh, is held when the EPA has new information. They come down and provide the information at the meeting and then people that – and it's open to the public. It's held at the Monroe County Library, usually at 630. Um, we announce it on our website. But it's it's a way for citizens to come and, and interface with the EPA. Pretty much the city is no longer active, uh, although they do come to some of the meetings. They're not really active uh, on a panel, if you will. Uh, but the state of Indiana from IDEM, they have a representative there and EPA will usually bring two or three people, whether it's uh, Dr. Clark who is their specialist in uh, risk um, or a gentleman that's that's their expert. I can't think of his name right now in, uh, involved in um, um, environmental risk. They also have a, a geologist, a local geologist that works with EPA who's there in case people have any questions about our geology and how that's related to the sites. A couple other things. One, you mentioned you know, that, that there may be a question about, well, there are other sites that aren't being cleaned up. Uh, we hear the term Superfund site. Uh, can you define a Superfund site? And also, um, are there, could other sites be added to you know, the discussion about what's going to be cleaned up? Well, they have people – some people in the community have argued for years that there's other sites the EPA and the city of Bloomington specifically have chased these leads down and um, and have not found any other sites. With the exception of last year, there was a very small uh, site found around Fluck Mill Road. Uh, there's a Fluck Mill Bridge. Somebody just noticed the site. They were concerned that it just looked funny. It's a very small site, but it's next to the creek. 
Uh, EPA came in. They tested it. It's definitely contaminated. There's negotiations going on outside of the consent decree because it's not a consent decree site of what to do with that. Uh, I think there's negotiations between the uh, the EPA and a private landowner on that issue. Um, so, I mean, if there's any – obviously, if anybody knows of any other sites, they've been talked about for years. I, I, I totally believe that the city and the state and EPA have looked and checked and, and looked for these sites, have not found them. Um, Superfund site? Superfund sites. Uh, I don't know the, the exact uh, – how you get on this, but it has to do with volume of contaminant and level of contaminant. So as, as an example, PCBs, uh, an action level for EPA is 50,000 parts per million. Um, we've got 200, 300, 400. Just, I mean th- there's – the concentrations are so great they were off the chart. And the volume, you know, when you, when you look at removing 80,000 tons from one site, 40,000 tons of contaminated material from the other site, the volume at these sites – uh, got them listed on the National Register. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other sites that we talked about, uh, Fell Iron and Metal, um, Anderson Road, sites like that were really not uh, national priority listed sites, uh, but they they were brought in under this agreement that they would be cleaned up under the same consent decree agreements. Okay. We got about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to go. Can you put kind of Bloomington's PCB experience with PCBs in perspective on a national level? How bad I – mean, how, how big is this problem in Bloomington compared to other places in the country? Well, the Lemon Lane, I know, and, and Neal's are, are probably some of the largest, heaviest contaminated sites in the country. Uh, they've had significant remediation and a lot of that has been hauled off um, compared to someplace like the Hudson River where the contamination is over a, a much larger area. Uh, our sites are, are small. They're contained, 8 acres, 20 acres. Um, but the problem is the leaking. We just happen to be on karst and it's still leaking. Okay. Well, we don't have any more time today, but I, I really appreciate your being in here. Mike Mike Baker, who's been involved with the PCB issue as a citizen in Monroe County for uh, probably about 20 years. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producers Claire Deedy and Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.